0: Welcome to the Tom Petty Project podcast. I am your host, Kevin Brown. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, as required. I hope that everyone is staying safe, and I wanted to give a quick shout-out to anyone listening down in Louisiana who may be affected by Hurricane Ida and the devastation that it's causing down there, especially to the power grid. Uh, I hope you're all back to something approaching normal sooner rather than later. Um, In today's episode... I'm talking about track three from the debut Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album, Hometown Blues. As always, if you haven't done so already, go to the official Tom Petty YouTube channel and go listen to the song. To make this easier, I'll start putting links to any songs I'm talking about or other recommended listening in the episode notes, so that you can access the song from the episode itself. Once you've listened to it, and it's a short little tune, come back and we can settle down to chat about it. Oh, you're back already? Excellent. Then let's dig into it hometown blues started life as one of the songs intended for a mud crutch release and features mud crutch members charlie souza on sax and randall marsh on drums the song had been written and recorded while tom was house-sitting for leon russell in his encino mansion which has a recording studio in the building Tom had negotiated that the band would be able to use the studio while he was house-sitting and Hometown Blues was the track that came out of those sessions. Under Denny Cordell's tutelage, the Heartbreakers would be subjected to hours of listening sessions where he'd play the band different songs by different classic artists and point things out that they were doing, you know, accenting certain phrases or specific ways of playing different passages. And he also wanted them to listen to great rhythm sections like Duck Dunn and Al Jackson from Booker T. and the MGs and Charlie Watts and Bill Wyman, of course, of The Stones. And one night, while working at Sound City Studios in Van Nuys, Denny Cordell played the track for Donald Duck Dunn and Steve Cropper, who were both members of the MGs and the legendary Stax Records house band. That band recorded hundreds of records throughout the 60s, working with artists like Otis Redding and Albert King. And Tom is quoted in conversations with Tom Petty as saying they loved the track. So Duck sat down and got his bass out to do the bass part, and Cropper kind of guided him through it with these weird, cold things like turn, walk. The encounter saw Petty and Dumb become firm friends and Tom would have Duck play on You Tell Me from Damn the Torpedoes and on Stop Dragging My Heart Around for Stevie Nicks. Hometown Blues is the shortest track in the record coming in at a tight two minutes and 14 seconds. The song feels like an homage to early influences and is a really swinging old-time rock and roll song. You could almost imagine it being played in a barn someplace in middle America with hay bales strewn about the place and oil lamps lighting the night. It has that really rustic, old-school feel to it, which kind of sets it, along with maybe Mystery Man, apart from most of the rest of the record, which has far more edge and attack. Marsh & Dunn's rhythm section is strikingly different to the Lynch-Blair combo, and it would be somewhat difficult to imagine the song working as it does with the latter two laying down the beat. The bass in the intro is really simple but super cool, playing a straight, octave-separated A with a little slide-up to the higher note, which just gives it so much character. The swing comes entirely from that bass line, and eventually the guitar, as the drum part is really a straight, steady pattern that provides a clean palette for the bass and then the guitars to move around over top of. The drums are so stripped down, there aren't even any hi-hats on there. The snare is complemented by hand claps to give it even more of a 60s feel, and Mike Campbell puts down a really cool guitar groove, and as always, the tone is immaculate and fits the part perfectly. This is another motif that will run throughout this podcast, I think. Mike Campbell's wizardry in finding exactly the right sound for every part of the song. The guitar part that Mike plays throughout the song is pretty steady and doesn't really change too much. Instead allowing the vocal to take up the extra space within the melody. And those uncomplicated Charlie Souza sax stabs give the verses just a little bit of punch and are understated in the chorus just adding that bit of texture, especially to the minor chord. I could imagine a full horn section being super cool in this song, though, and I'd love to hear someone like Joe Bonamassa tackle it with his full band and just rock the hell out of it. I love the vocal performance on this one, too, and it feels like Tom is just having fun, after the frenetic energy of rocking around with you and the intensity of breakdown. He still cracks into that snarled delivery a few times, but it never feels dangerous or strained. The harmonies are really low in the mix, but I'm fairly certain that it's Tom singing those parts too, as they definitely don't sound like Stan Lynch, and I don't think that anyone else in the band was really singing backup vocals on those early tracks. Like the rest of the song, the harmonies are kept fairly spare, and they're only used on a few lines in the chorus, and then into the bridge. The bridge has a really familiar rock and roll feel to it, and even the lyrics have that nostalgic 60s vibe. Baby, save me, save me, save me with your sweet smile. It's a very sort of Otis Redding or or Buddy Holly type of line. Coming out of the bridge, a lot of drummers would have added a fill, but sticking to the simple driving beat, Randall Marsh avoids falling into the trap of getting too fancy and lets the harmony drive us back into that last verse. Lyrically, the song is very simple, and is about taking your chances when they come along, whether that's the girlfriend in the first verse taking a shot at stardom, or the girls taking their chance at being someone in their hometown in the last verse. They're all just trying to make the best of the hometown blues. I never really had that small-town-got-to-get-out angst when I was growing up, but I also did leave home at 16 to join the army, so maybe if I'd stuck around and got a job in a factory, I'd feel that sense of longing for something better too. I really like the first line in the course of this one. Don't really matter if she don't or if she do. It's a neat little inversion of the typical will-she-won't-she or or do-or-don't that I like in it that puts the negative proposition before the positive, And when it's coupled with that vernacular phrasing, she do, it makes it a really fun, bouncy line to sing. Okay, time for some petty trivia. How did everyone do with last week's quiz question? I asked you which 27-year-old pop diva the Heartbreakers followed at Live Aid in 1985. It was, of course, the queen of pop herself, Madonna. And that four-song set was arguably the strongest that any artist performed in Philadelphia that day. American Girl, The Waiting, Rebels, and Refugee. So today's trivia question is one for the hardcore fans. If you were at any of the early tour shows, you should have a good shot at remembering this. Or, if you're just a big old petty nerd, you might just know it. So which song was the opening number for the Damn the Torpedoes tour in 1979-1980? Okay, back to the song. This is another track that seems to have been very rarely played live, which again surprises me somewhat, as I could imagine a crowd really bouncing along to this one and singing their hearts out. Of course, especially in the later years, with the catalogue Tom had, what song would you drop to make room for this one? At 2 minutes 14, it's the second shortest Tom Petty album track overall, if you don't include a couple of interstitial instrumentals from She's the One. It gets in, rocks hard, then gets out again. Quick, fun, and upbeat. It's one of those songs I wouldn't necessarily throw at people to turn them on to Tom Petty, but it's one of the ones I always look forward to when I'm listening to that first album. It has a sort of innocent charm to it that I find really appealing. As I say, I think that if the song had been given a little more production, like a fuller horn section or something, I think it could have been even bigger and more fun, and I'd love to have heard a live jam version of it. As a score, I'm going to give Hometown Blues a solid 6 out of 10. It's a fun, does-what-it-says-on-the-tin romp that lifts the album back up again, coming off the back of Breakdown. I really enjoy it, and it's a great song to sing along to in the shower, which I highly recommend. So, that's a wrap for episode 3, folks. Uh, A little shorter today, just like the song. Don't forget to go back and listen to the song again, and listen out for that super groovy, duck-done bass line. Next week's episode will cover fan-favorite The Wild One Forever. Okay, thanks for hanging out with me again. Um Go back and listen to Hometown Blues and maybe check out one or two of the live performances. I did find an interesting live cover of the song by a young girl named Isabella Rosa that was a part of the November 19th, 2017 Why Hunger Benefit concert that was dedicated to Tom Petty. She sings it basically solo acoustic and with a more bluesy feel, but she has a good voice and does a solid job with it. I'll add that into the episode notes too so you can check it out. But if anyone knows of any live bootleg performances of this song, I'd be really keen to hear them. So if you do know of anything like that, please let me know in the comments. Uh, other things, I'm planning to add a couple of pages to my website with episode transcripts and links to any songs that I talk about. Um, and I'll let you guys know on social media once I have that set up. And the website address is www.tompettyproject.com. Again, as always, feel free to comment if you have anything to say about the episode and please remember to spread the word. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and leave a rating if you like. Remember to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and or Twitter. Um, you can find me at Tom Petty Project or on Instagram at the Tom Petty Project and let me know what you think. I'll add my usual disclaimer also that I'm not affiliated with or endorsed by Tom Petty's estate and any and all views expressed in this podcast are entirely my own. I wanted to take a moment too to credit Paul Zolo's excellent book, Conversations with Tom Petty. Warren Zane's biography, simply titled Petty, and John Scott's Tom Petty and Me. Those three books have been an invaluable resource to me in terms of getting the, the history of where some of these songs came from and what inspired them. Another shout out uh, to the Tom Petty Nation Facebook group for being one of the coolest corners of the internet to hang out in. It's such a welcoming, positive space, and Keith Evelyn does a killer job with his admin team in keeping it growing and thriving. So go check that out on Facebook if you're not already a member. One last shout-out, if you're into music podcasts, which it sounds like you may be, go check out the Honest and Unmerciful podcast on Spotify. This is an album review podcast hosted by Brian Ruskin and Pete Nestor. Among the albums they've reviewed is Wildflowers, and I really like the podcast because they have a, a, a fun, relaxed style during their show and a couple of neat little hooks um, within it that I really enjoy. So go check that out, go subscribe, tell your friends about the podcast, and until next week, stay safe, have fun, And I'll speak to you later. Bye-bye.